Alrighty, welcome back to DC Cinematic Minute, a daily podcast in which we analyze Man of Steel one individual minute at a time. My name is Mark. You can follow me on all social media at Mark Meadows. And I'm Nathan. You can also follow me on social media at No Clutch Nate, as well as Clutch Figures on Instagram. And we have guest Chris Ayers. Hi, everybody. Uh, yeah, I'm a co-host of the People v. Batman v. Superman podcast, and also an upcoming show called DC Legacy Filmcast. And uh, our, our Batman v. Superman filmcast uh, sprung out of our sort of complicated feelings about that movie. We weren't huge fans of it, although my, my co-host and I are big DC Comics fans. Um, I did like Man of Steel quite a bit, but I think they took what was good about Man of Steel and, and made it worse. So uh, we have finished up a 26-episode, very similar to what you guys are doing, although it's not minute by minute, because that movie is like three hours long, and it would have been 180 episodes. But you guys went um, through the extended cut or the theatrical cut? Yeah, the extended cut, which I'll admit is a better movie. I think it, it adds some necessary things to it. Yeah, I don't think there's any debate on that. They're two totally different I'd movies. like to meet the guy who's like, I like the theatrical cut better, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Slap him. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting? The the, uh, the studio, the, the meta level of the studio interference on some of this stuff even with Suicide Squad and even with, say, the Watchmen cut, the longer cut of Watchmen, which I haven't seen. This is interesting that Zack Snyder has this idea of what he wants it to be, and it ends up coming in it way longer than like what most people are probably willing to sit through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you we know. were having a discussion a little bit ago on a few few episodes about uh, like time constraints for movies, and um, yeah. you know, we're, we're over them now. I mean, if what we were saying, if, if you want to make a five-hour movie, make a five-hour movie. I'll sit through it if I like the, the content. Yeah, I think... A five-hour movie, well, it it could be worth it, but it, it, you know the whole five hours has to be worth it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean it's an experience. Five hours might have been a little bit too much, but yeah. yeah. Um, but that's Batman v Superman, and today we're talking about Man of Steel. <laughs> and uh, today for Man of Steel minute, we are discussing minute number twenty-six, and it starts with the remaining shot of the whales that we saw in the last minute mm-hmm. that we talked about. And then the minute ends with Clark um, in British Columbia focused on a yellow school bus is how the minute ends. And uh, this minute in particular kind of almost plays out more like a music video, in my opinion. It's uh, yeah, it's kind of not much going on in the minute, but I think this minute really tries to set up the tone for this act of the film. Did you guys recognize the song the first time you heard it? I didn't recognize the who it was. I did look up who it was, and I, I kind of did the research on that. But that's only because I don't listen to Chris Cornell. And at first, I was like, no. I was like, mm, is this Creed playing? <laughs> <laughs> it definitely sounds like that vein. It, I, I recognized it. I couldn't place it. Like I know, I know the song. What is it? The first time, and I thought it was maybe Led Zeppelin, like a softer Led Zeppelin song. Then I realized, nope, that's not right. Yeah, it's Chris Cornell, and the reason I knew this song is because it was on the soundtrack of Singles, which is a movie that I loved back in the 90s. It was like the sort of a romance in the in Seattle grunge uh, era. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it does have that feel. You know, it's in, yeah, like you said, it's in that vein. Um, I've never really heard the song before, uh, and I'm, I don't know much about Chris Cornell, so I didn't do any research about him or, like, his background, really. But I did do, uh, like, a deep dive into the lyrics of the song, and listened to it and kind of went through, I don't know, discussions about the song because a lot of people, I saw like 
I don't know. People were talking about it. Um, and reading the lyrics, I guess it, it kind of sets up, uh, if not for the actual sound of the, the song itself, the lyrics kind of paint the same picture where, um, I don't know if you guys got the same thing, but kind of like the sense of loneliness and being lost maybe mentally. I got rural kind of, kind of feel like that. Try to give you like the outskirts kind of. Yeah. Kind of, I, I feel like it was setting up for a flashback to Kansas in the middle of nowhere. Kind of, kind of rural, rural farmer, farmer-esque kind of deal. Mm-hmm. It, it definitely uh, sounds like the scene feels, you know, I, th- I think that it definitely fits here. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's the only pop song in the whole film. If I'm not wrong, yeah, no, I mean, right. That's, it's all, it's all Hans Zimmer. I think from, from that on I out. think there's two other songs. There's like, uh, an Allison Crow song. It's called ring of fire, but I don't know if it's the same. I don't know if it's a cover yeah. of Johnny cat. Oh, right. When she's playing in the, in the truck stop in the, in the bar. Right. Yeah. I remember that. Um, but yeah, there's only three that are like credited within the film, but they're not on the soundtrack or anything. Um, this whole minute right here kind of sets up this whole new act. Um, and I think the last scene with the oil rig and everything was kind of like a segue from the action that we saw in Krypton to this act here where, where is Clark Kent kind of on a quest to go find himself in a sense. Yeah. Um, and this kind of begins the period where I think a lot of people might feel the lull of the movie. Like this might be the point where people kind of, you hit the slow point. Yeah. But for good, for hopefully a good reason, you know? Um, so the action is, has basically ended here and, and now we're getting into more of the, the why of the film as opposed to, like, when and where. Um, when I looked through the lyrics, um, I kind of looked it up on one of those Song Genius websites, yeah. and, and a good part of the song that I th- thought was interesting was um, that the song kind of teaches you that dreams don't come true unless you unless action is taken, which I feel like kind of applies here later on in the film. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if he, if their dream was for him to be, you know, the, the savior of, of, of Krypton and, and being able to bridge the two species, then it kind of makes sense if you look at it that way. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, I don't know. <laughs> I could go on about the film, or, I mean, the, the <laughs> song, and try to, like, find something out try of it. Try to pick but... out everything on it. Yeah, I also looked at the lyrics. I didn't really see anything that was, like, a really an overt message she was trying to say, but I thought it was interesting because... It is, you know, a very long track of the song. Like, what what does it mean? There's usually some kind of meaning in what in what uh, songs Zack Snyder picks. Yeah. I think mostly he picked it for the tone of the sound itself. But maybe there's some lyrics. And maybe I'm just putting, you know, pieces that don't fit together. And I'm just <laughs> forcing the, you know. Hey, it's art. Anything works. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's all how you perceive it. I thought it was funny that the first line of the song says summer nights and long warm days, but it looks so cold. It looks like it's probably winter or fall there. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, it looks free. I think it's supposed to. I think it's supposed to be Alaska. Um, I assume I just because like we, it seemed like he drifted not too far, but I don't know exactly where he lands. But the the only thing we got out of it was the oil rig itself said something about the Arctic region. That was just the name of the company. 
there you go. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere up there, Canada, Alaska yeah. area, I'm assuming. Somewhere cold. I, I didn't know if it was the same place that um, we see, I, I guess, in the trailers by now, Justice League, where, where Arthur Curry hangs out. I didn't know if it was, if it was that <laughs> tied too close together. Yeah. But that's, oh, that's I actually know where, I know where that is from doing research on our podcast. Uh, the scene of Arthur Curry in Batman v Superman is in the Tonga Trench, which is um, sort of like New, New Zealand or Australia, sort of those islands. It's like the one of the, the the area with the most volcanic activity in the, in the entire world, so it's a bit different. I actually have some info on where it was filmed because I think I think it's interesting. It's a little tiny shipping or it's a little tiny fishing village in uh, British Columbia. Uh, it's a town called Euclid, and it's about sixteen hundred people. And there's so many DC uh, shows filmed up there in British Columbia. Do you guys watch the CW show yeah, like Flash yeah. and Arrow? Yeah, I'm I'm familiar with a lot of places filming in, in Vancouver, but that's as far as I know as like major locations. Yeah, they, they use that so much. It's like what they call Hollywood North because there's so many different um, areas that look different. Like I've seen uh, the Vancouver area used to be like Louisiana, Russia, New York, Los Angeles, you know. Um, so I think there's this looks accurately like Alaska to me, but... You know, it's it's in that area, but um, if you ever go to, if you're ever in Vancouver, there's a Twitter account called YVR Shoots, and it tells you where all the shows are shooting up there. Um, and last time I was last time I was there, they were shooting a Flash and Arrow crossover, so I got to go down and watch a scene with Barry Allen and uh, Stephen Amell. You know, or, or, uh, Oliver Queen. There's a good chance if you go at the right time of year, you will find something being shot up there. Oh, and, I bet. There's also, if you drive a little up the coast, you can find where they they, they shoot the island stuff. Um, which not on on Arrow, it's not actually an island; it's a tiny little park. You can walk around it. Anybody can go there. <laughs> That's silly. But it seems like there's so many uh, DC properties that have been filmed in British Columbia, which is you know an interesting connection to this movie. No, I I think uh, Vancouver deserves some credit sometimes. Maybe they just need to film and call it Vancouver, and <laughs> you know. More more places just need to be like honest, like, hey, we're in Vancouver. This is what's happening. It's a cool city. And yeah. Not just be like, oh, just throw the Golden Gate Bridge and we'll call it San Francisco again. Yeah. Like they do all the time. There's even a short film that's called Vancouver Never Plays Itself. It never gets credit for being Vancouver. It's you know New York or Metropolis or you know Central City. Well, there's your movie right exactly. There. No, I, I watched a, a video on. I watch. I follow a channel on YouTube. They're called Every Frame of Painting, and they cover. Uh, Vancouver and that's basically my new favorite place now so <laughs> I told Johnny all the time my girlfriend that oh I want to move to Vancouver because that's where they film all the all the movies and shows and all that so just yeah my my wife is from there so I know a lot about there I've been there a few times so it's it's really great although it's super expensive like about as expensive as San Francisco like you better have a great job if you're gonna afford to live there oh man heard that um moving on so <laughs> Um, once Clark kind of like wakes up from his unconsciousness, really, and he lands, uh, he gets up on land. Uh, first thing he does is, uh, steal some clothes. Yep. I wrote that down. This is the first <laughs> note I have. Superman steals clothes. <laughs> but before he puts those clothes on, can we talk about that physique though for a second? Oh you know, my with, God. Yeah, shirt on? I mean, we saw it on the oil rig when, uh, it was when, when nothing was on fire on him and, and yet there were flames covering him. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, we get to see that the the Superman, the Kryptonian super strength hair. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, we definitely get a, a better shot at that. Uh, yeah, that physique. 
Now, as beautiful as that guy is, <laughs> how is he so ripped in this film? <laughs> yeah. I've always wondered about that. How does Superman build muscles? Like, what, what can he lift that offers some kind of resistance? Yeah. yeah. Build muscles. You think it would do the opposite, you know, like being so light and so strong against Earth's gravity and its sun and all that maybe it would have the opposite effect. Maybe he'd be like really skinny and stretched out. like Just like not like none of his muscles have any resistance in everyday life. It's the complete opposite of the Man of Steel. No, it's more like Flashpoint Superman where he's like yeah. <laughs> scrawny alien. Um, but I'm glad they didn't go that realistic route and we got this guy. <laughs> When uh, when I saw, first saw the um, the scene where he's saving, saving people in the oil rig, I was sitting next to my wife, and as soon as he rips that door open with and he's like you know hairy chest and huge muscles, she's like oh, and I'm like I'm like okay, calm down, calm down. <laughs> yep, it's it's definitely it. it uh, he fits the bill for the the typecasting right out the door. I love the bearded Superman. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's Always. a huge plus and. Even that we didn't even get to see him in like a suit or doing anything that, uh, you know, super, if, it's still. If they just, you know, if they had just like, oh, he's going to have a beard the whole film, I would not argue. I wouldn't like, you. I would just be like, that's cool. That's badass. Go for it. I bet I'll come back with one. <laughs> well, I don't know if you guys have, have gotten into the discussion about how Superman shaves. Yeah, the debate. Like, yeah. <laughs> my my opinion was always uh, just just a uh, heat vision in the mirror, kind of focusing <laughs> it to just kind of scorch it. But then that seems like it'd be laser hair removal, and he would never have any more hair follicles. After or he that. would just break the mirror <laughs> with the laser beam. Yeah, that would or the heat yep. vision. Yep, that would, would just... definitely occur before any hair got cut. He could probably focus it and turn it and intensity down. Well, they never show him shave before he leaves for Canada, so. Uh, the ship that he, he could have never shaved in his life ever <laughs> until he that's get... the longest it is. That's 33 years of a beard right there on, on from from Superman. I mean, it doesn't look like he's kept it up ever. But yeah, maybe that's I don't know. Maybe he gets to the scholarship and then, and then Jor-El's like, yo, there's a razor in the bathroom. Just go use it. <laughs> uh. Um, But no, I think that's a nice, nice tall glass of water right there all right <laughs> um moving on he but hang on right what? before he went to go and while he was walking up to the house before he stole the initial like the clothes that he actually took he checked the socks that were hanging on the clothesline one the socks had a hole in the heel was that what made him think nope can't wear that or <laughs> were they just completely soaked and if that's the answer why was that family hanging their you know clothes out the dry during when it was raining it's clearly it's overcast there Maybe they hung it up to dry, and then when they went out shopping, it rained, and they're like, damn, all the clothes outside are getting wet. Well, either way, they're getting their clothes stolen. He wouldn't not grab the socks because there was a hole in the heel. <laughs> he didn't grab any socks at all, unless the socks were like on, in the pile of clothes right there. Was he just like, socks? No, I don't need that. I got Man of Steel feet. No, I'm pretty sure he was like, no, they're wet. Moving on. I just had the feeling that he came up there hoping there were some like pants or shirts and just saw that it was socks and you know and just moved on. <laughs> Who dries just their socks? What is this? <laughs> oh my god. And it's it's lucky that he found some clothes just his size in, in the back of the van. Yes, exactly. I mean it was it's it seems like it's always like that what was it? I think that Wolverine movie did it too. The Wolverine. Uh no, Origins. When oh. uh, they found that guy's like, Oh, you look about my son's 
size. It's like, yeah, dude, Wolverine is massive. What do you mean he fits into your son's clothes? Like, oh, they just happen to fit. Everybody's clothes just happen to fit. That's it. That's all I got. It's movie magic. Movie magic. There you go. We'll just chalk it all up to that. And they just leave their trunk open. Yeah. They, like, went inside, closed the door. Now, we had to see him take the clothes. We didn't have to. He has enhanced speed. Does he use his enhanced speed? Yeah. He must have. You think there was a reason they showed him stealing the clothes? Like, the shot? Why was there a reason? I mean, it seems like he could just go in and out, and no one would ever be the wiser. Unless it's like, oh, well, he stole the clothes. Is he leaving an IOU? Is he that good of a Superman? No, clearly not. (laughs) I think he just earned some karma by saving a bunch of lives on the rig. So, man, maybe he's... This is a really minor thing. The Force works in mysterious ways. Yeah, all right. Different (laughs) different show. Um, So, yeah, he ends up in a very small town in the British Columbia area. Where people obviously keep full outfits in their trunks. Exactly. Um, And kind of what this scene kind of reminds me of is um, Superman Earth One, the Straczynski kind of graphic novel doesn't he do something similar isn't he kind of like on the on the road all the time in that book um, or am i mistaken not really not too much he um i think the first one opens up with him just going to metropolis and him getting the job and what was it him like excelling at everything like he was a, mm-hmm. you know greatest baseball player and then he was a super scientist and everybody was like oh you can get jobs like crazy and he was like no i want to work for a paper i don't think that was that one no. I think you're you're thinking of um Birthright Mark Wade yeah. book. Okay, there you go. There you go. Where he's just kinda like kinda laying low but kind of kind of testing waters on how to be a superhero. Yeah. It's all that kind of same yeah. it's it's a it's a very uh retold and retold theme through the Superman stories, so it definitely gets it's kinda stuff you do in your 20s you know you go out and find yourself you move away from your parents for a bit it makes sense yeah i think i mean it's it usually we usually see it centered around him going to metropolis and trying to find a life there not really him on a road so that's why like birthright comes in and, and kind of changes it as well as uh this movie but yeah like what um like earth one did that uh like american alien another one that i have right next to me does that and uh and then it's just a drastic change from new superman to boy scout superman where he doesn't need to find himself no yeah i'm uh, mm, i don't want to get too into it but (laughs) i like seeing a natural progression rather than a drastic like alien landing and then becoming boy scout superman with no explanation on yeah how and why like superman returns you can't just save somebody up from, from, from a falling, you know, shuttle plane that's crashed into a baseball stand. Or he was like, oh, yeah, cool, Superman's back. It's like, whoa, pump the brakes, man. But those are, Superman Returns is a, is a sequel to... I know, so everybody right? had the, yeah, so everybody already had the notion <laughs> there. But, like, still, there was no progressive, there was no nothing. Even when, in Superman Returns, when it's like, well, how do you come back? Uh, he, he just fell with the piece of Krypton rock that he was carrying him. No big deal. He was gone for a little bit, but he's back. I just, um... I don't blame Superman Returns for that. I just, I think they rely too much on being like, "Hey, we're we're 
kind of a sequel off the old Christopher Reeve. Yeah, they they films. relied too much on on what worked. And in they the didn't. Past. I, I think Superman Returns didn't try to be its own thing. No, kind I, of. I agree. And that's, but also, I mean, like with this movie, I'm I w- I've said it before, but when I first saw it, I was not a big fan of of how they set it up with uh with the pacing of it all. It seemed like there was way too many flashbacks. Now I think it's perfect. Um, but when I when I first watched it, it didn't it didn't have the effect that I guess. Snyder wanted to relate to me, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't think, even despite people watching trailers and stuff, I don't think people were kind of prepared for this. Oh, I kinda, sure wasn't. Yeah, this segment of the film where, again, like I said, the the lulling happens. Like, yeah. It kind of um, plateaus a bit. And, like, well, we've had huge action moments for, like, the past 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then now it's, like, the cue the Chris Cornell song, but, like, Let's put a really kind of bleak color palette, and we're in British Columbia, and it starts to get a more I don't I don't I don't want to say grittier tone, but just I don't know it just kind of coasts right here. With the pacing, as you're talking about, it's opposite of how most movies open. You start with some build up and then get to an action sequence where then there's so much weight, much more weight to the action. This starts with a lot of action, and then it has to slow down at some point. Which I think is interesting. I actually really like the first hour of this movie. I, I, it starts to give me some problems once we get past that. I specifically the part where Pa Kent dies and and the tornado. Um, that's that's something you guys will talk about later that I really didn't like. But I I, I, did, I rewatched the first hour of this um, for this podcast and I actually really like the first hour a lot. There's not much I have a problem with. Well, that's good. You're in good company then. <laughs> yeah, I mean. It, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I no, think like I have. My... A, I think I have a problem with the tornado scene as well, <laughs> and I haven't thought about it because I haven't seen the movie since we started this podcast. <laughs> I've kind of been on like this. I'm not going to watch Man of Steel because I'm, I'm already doing it minute by minute. So, um, but if I can remember, I do remember the tornado just being a weird way to exit Jonathan Kent, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I. I want to drop one little thing on this. Jumping ahead a tiny bit, the difference is that typically his death has been portrayed as a heart attack, which is something that Superman can't stop with all his power. He's powerless to keep his dad from dying. Where in the tornado scene, he does have the ability and doesn't do it, which is a big difference. Yeah. And he doesn't do it because Jonathan Kent tells him not to do it. I'll get into that. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll get into that. I, sorry. I think we, that's yeah. good. <laughs> that's the movie. It starts, that's the point where it starts to fall apart for yeah, me. See, like, and I'm one of those guys that will defend that scene for like what it's worth. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But I see it from, from Clark's point of view. So that's why it's just like, oh, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Also, regarding this whole journey he's on, it's sort of they're trying to make it more like Batman in a way. And considering that David Goyer, who wrote this, also wrote Batman Begins. And we see that in the long journey, the Batman goes on traveling the world to you know, make himself better. They're basically doing the same thing with Superman here. And this has been, a, you know, the last 10 years or so trying to make Superman a lot like Batman, which I don't think works. There's got to have that contrast. But this this journey part does work for me. I, I like this part. It's good that you brought that up with the whole comparing of Batman, because right off the back, I can definitely say that, like, um, if you compare it to, to Batman Begins and his journey, it's like almost the, the complete opposite where he's... Uh, Bruce Wayne has uh, a set in his mind of like the specific training that he's going to go through and the, and the specific things that he needs to learn to, to master his, his skills, where Superman, he's just winging it completely. He does not know what to do. He's just going blindly and trying to help whatever. So um, there's definitely that whole uh, that dichotomy between the two characters that I love. 
that's that's pretty good i like that you brought that up that's thanks <laughs> cool i think about this a lot almost constantly <laughs> after having done uh, like six months of our own podcast about batman and superman so we've we thought about that a lot yeah no yeah. uh batman begins is my favorite batman film i gotta be honest <laughs> it's a good one to um so i feel like it translates here i'm not a I don't want to say I'm a huge David Goyer fan, really, but I do love Batman Begins for sure. Um, yeah, it's a solid movie. I was so happy when that came out. I was like, oh, finally. And it added a lot of things to the Batman mythos that weren't there before but actually made sense, and they just felt right, and I was totally accepted it right away. I agree 100%. I feel like there are some some changes that normally I feel like people would be like upset changing certain origin stories. Um, but I feel like Nolan changed the right parts or, you know, his whole team, really. They changed the right parts about Batman. And, yeah. I, and I feel like whenever I watch Batman Begins, I'm like, that, that like, is perfect. Perfect origin tell- yeah. storytelling. Because I'm kind of, like, on this huge kick right now where I feel like superhero films shouldn't have to make their first film an origin story every time. Um, like, I think one of the biggest films that i'm most disappointed in is the thor franchise because i'm like i feel like thor shouldn't have been an origin film i feel like you should just kind of go like 100 like let's just let's just do thor stuff let's not have to like sacrifice the quality of the film to kind of explain to the common person thor like yeah they should just or, show him fighting sharks in space, and, and we should just be okay with it. Yeah, kind of like Guardians a, of the Galaxy, almost. Yeah, it, it could have been from the perspective of the common people. Then, in a way, Thor's like Superman. It's you know this powerful being from another planet. It was the first time in the Marvel universe they had a, a hero wasn't powered by science, or no, or at least not a science that we can understand. And that's definitely where like the it, it kind of it lost it on me, just because um, Thor is that character that it that it is all like this this. Uh, this mythology and this magic per se that's that's this in creating that whole big world that he's a part of mm-hmm. and then they took the character and threw him in a little crappy town filled with <laughs> and it's like what really come on yeah i agree those those Thor are the worst of the marvel and i don't think marvel's made anything really bad but the, the thor movies to me so far are least interesting agreed good we can, we can all agree on that yeah no i, I think they're bad <laughs> i think <laughs> i think the worst in the cinematic universe for marvel is is the second thor film just because i feel like oh god i'm not gonna get into it this uh, <laughs> welcome, welcome back topic. to dc minute just talk about ruining a character from its from no its book I, adaptation that's, not, that's what that is i think what hurt the films is they tried to please the the loki fan base in the sequel <laughs> that's honestly my opinion i feel like they catered to what was successful and other films mm. i don't know welcome back um to yeah minute. sorry <clears throat> that's not yeah um yeah but i think what was i what was i gonna say i was gonna say something about going back on that batman begins thing um it was uh what were we saying we're kind of saying it sets the tone for everything like that and that was the first of this uh hyper realism that we started to see in a superhero so it definitely um it kind of I wasn't really expecting it in Man of Steel, but now that I'm looking back on it, I feel like I should have, just because I didn't. Um, I don't know if I was just too blinded by my love for the for the character of Superman that I wanted to be totally, uh, you know, awestruck by his power. That I didn't think that they could they could turn the story into, especially like his origin. 
like this. They, into they, something they realistic? Yeah, into something that's realistic and something um, relatable. I mean, all these lessons, gosh, the Jonathan Kent lessons are, like you said, he's talking to you. That's your, I that's, think he's it, talking about your life, man. I think it stems from all the failures of superhero films that, that try to be super comic booky, Over like, the top like be, uh, yeah. Ang Lee's Hulk. Oh, yeah. And um, yeah. maybe even Batman and Robin, um, Superman Returns. And so films like Batman Begins and Iron Man, they really, they showed you how a superhero could work in a hyper-realistic world. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Warner Brothers, obviously, they want to make some money, and they're like, we got to make Superman successful if we're going to do a film. How to make it successful? Get the guy who did the Dark Knight trilogy to kind of give you a formula to work off of. Yeah. And I feel like that's how it came to be. I think it's an interesting modern way to do it, and I don't have a problem with the concept either. Um, to show what it would be if this guy arrives and what people would think of it, how it would be a little scary. I mean, honestly, now I, I even I, I even kind of like the concept and the setup of Batman v Superman. I just think that there's so there's so many things that are mishandled in that movie, and it's such a bleak and sort of mean spirited movie. There's so much hate in that movie that I never really felt felt good about it, but it, but it's sort of realistic. So it's, it's it's almost like Empire, where it's just like kind of kind of that whole super dark tone of it. Um, not necessarily bad guys win, but they get pretty damn close. Yeah, there's but there's a lot of hope in Empire. Even at the end, when they've lost, you still feel the hope. I, I felt no hope at the end of Batman v Superman. I was just so demoralized. It's true. That's a it's a really rough movie. I mean, my girlfriend shies away at the whole uh, the whole Senate meeting and everything like that. Like that's it's a rough part. That is that. I'm not exaggerating here. That's my least favorite scene in any movie I've ever watched. Honestly, he, Superman doesn't get to talk in that movie. He doesn't get a chance to explain his side of this story. No, he barely. All his lines are basically threatening Batman, and he doesn't in costume. Superman doesn't get to talk very much, and then, and then he's about to explain you know why I'm here. I'm good. I'm here to help. I'm not a. I'm not a threat. I'm not your enemy. And then, the explosion happens, and he's powerless to save anyone, and it, it just hurts so much maybe maybe that's what lex planned and he was you know he he knew that he could only uh try to uh, threaten and 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 control superman through uh i guess mind games i I guess you know i think that was the point i think um i just don't like that point necessarily (laughs) fair enough i'm just i'm just thinking because it's like (laughs) I can't wait to talk about that film. Oh yeah, me too. I'm I'm itching at the at the bullet to to get at that one. To be honest with you, but yeah. Do you guys have anything else for minute twenty six, Chris? Um, I would just say that there's a sort of a nice tra- visual transition when he sees the bus, which you don't know why he's looking at this bus, and then you cut to a bus going down the road in in uh, Kansas on the next scene which is which is kind of cool mm-hmm. yeah it's like a it's it's kind of like you weren't really figuring out that it was his memory that that it was going it's a really good transition into a flashback in my opinion especially yeah. if you're watching it from the central character's point of view mm-hmm. and it, it goes from a very cold uh cold feeling scene to a warmer scene which is which is kind of nice i think i wrote down I, li- I like his look that they gave him the the clothes that he stole <laughs> it was very <laughs> good fit um it's. I mean, it, it made him blend in. It. Uh. It kind of the beard really works to to his favor. He blends it, it in looks... in in a in a realistic way. Yeah, um, it's very not, good. I was watching. I, I've been watching the show Homeland recently, and they have like this 
they have like security up and everything and the main character is like wearing a, a hoodie and a baseball cap <laughs> in like an area surrounded by like secret service and snipers on the <laughs> roofs and everything i'm like that makes you look worse that, like who what are you yeah. doing and so here i feel like wow he's like he could fit in like the american accent would give him away but like perfect wardrobe props yeah. to wardrobe people for being like yep that's what a schmuck from british columbia looks yeah, like i really like that did they ever did they make an action figure of that of that thing? yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> i wish i wonder I'd would like you that. buy it? Yeah, you I'd would love buy that. it. Yeah, absolutely. You, you totally, me? you would buy it. <laughs> um, yeah, that's all I got for minute twenty six. Yeah, that's, that's me. Is that all you got, Chris? Yeah, that's it. Alrighty, guys, we're gonna go ahead and wrap up this minute. If you love what you hear, don't forget to rate, subscribe, do all that jazz. You can find us on all social media at DCEU Minute, and don't forget to check out Chris's podcast, The People vs. Batman v Superman and DC Legacy Filmcast. And we'll catch you guys here on the next one here on DC Cinematic Minute.